right, we are now beginning a short break from the Gospel of John, which I find slightly sad uh, because I've been loving the Gospel of John. It's been pretty full on over the last few weeks, uh, but according to our rules of association, every three years we pause and we preach on the biblical offices. Uh, now, we actually changed that last week at our partners' meeting, uh, but nonetheless, it's a good practice. So, we're going to look at the role of elder this morning, what's it about, what's it entail. Uh, next week, we've got uh, Jerome looking at the role of deacon, uh, and the following week, Drew looking at the role of uh, partner in the church. So, that's what's happening over the next few weeks. Our passage this morning looks at what elders are and what elders do. It instructs the church a little bit on whether or not someone is suitable for the role. And church, this not only applies to myself and Calvin and Drew and Steve, but this applies to anyone who in the future may become an elder. It applies if in the future you attend a different church and you need a matrix to assess whether or not the leadership is honouring God, well, these are the kinds of passages that we apply. Too many times over the years, elders get appointed for the wrong reasons in lots of churches. There are plenty of churches elders get appointed because they've been at the church a long time. I have literally, in previous churches, heard someone who was nominated to be an elder, say, well, I suppose it's my turn. No. Having a turn at being an elder, it's a bit like saying, I'm going to have a turn at being an explosives technician without any training. Guaranteed to blow up in your face, right? It, it, it's not something you have a turn at. It's something you're called to, and there are qualifications that you have to have. Alongside of that, Probably one of the other key reasons that we have elders picked who aren't suitable is that they're just a really nice person. You just think so-and-so is just so warm, so welcoming, they must be an elder. Now, that's important for an elder to be warm and welcoming, but it's not all it is. Elders often have to make hard decisions. Often they have to confront people. Often they have to bring church discipline. And if you put someone in the role that only can care, that's who they are, they're often going to burn out or try and change the position to fit their ideal. The reality is I can make a statement almost any week from the pulpit and it causes a mixed reaction. It's true, isn't it? If I said we're too outward focused in this church, there'd be people in this church who say, you've got to be kidding, we've got to be more outward focused. And then people say, yes, finally. If I, saw, if I said we're too inward focused, what would happen? Same thing. It'd be a group of people going, that's true, we've got to be more outward focused than other people. Yeah, it just, it causes a reaction and an elder is prepared for that. The reality is we're, we're working together with Christ at the center, but at times there are bumps, aren't there? And an elder's got to be ready for that. So, how do we make those difficult decisions and choices? We know the Word of God, we apply the Word of God, we seek God's wisdom, right? So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at the Word of God and analyze it according to how it helps us understand the role of elders. 
So if you have your Bible with you, open up to Acts chapter 20. We're going to go 17 to 31, but initially we're just going to look at 17 to 24. Acts 20, 17 to 24. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church. When they came to him, he said to them, You know from the first day I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. You know that I did not hesitate to proclaim anything to you that was profitable profitable, and to teach you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the Spirit, not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Amen. Well, what I'm going to try and do is break down some big summary points. There is so much stuff in this passage. Ideally, I'd love about four weeks to preach on it, but we're just going to break it down in some big summaries. So first point, if we're thinking about biblical eldership, is this, an elder's example. He is teaching the elders. Remember the context just here, Paul has called the elders of the church together And in teaching them, Paul says to them, look at my life. You want to know what an elder is, says Paul? Look at how I lived and ministered among you. An elder can never have their message and their life separated. It doesn't matter how much Bible and theology you have, if you're disqualified by not living up to God's moral standards for an elder. In this message of Paul's that we're looking at, roughly 50% of it is testimony. Roughly 50% of the message is personal. You get to know Paul through his interaction, through his preaching with the elders. Of course, Paul's primary goal is to point to Jesus, but the message comes through a messenger, doesn't it? And the life of the messenger must support the message. And that's what we see in the life of Paul. The life of the messenger must support the message. I mean, think about it. Some Christians are just plain miserable. They're always on and on about the cost of things. They're always complaining about work. They're always wishing church wasn't so bad. Uh, They're always carrying on about a backache. They're just always miserable. And it's like getting the gospel of Eeyore. You know, it's okay. I'm all right. Right? There's nothing inspiring. There's nothing about that message which supports the joy of our faith. So the elder has to have a life that supports the gospel that they own. Right? Their life has to support that message. The same, is the, the same is true of the opposite, isn't it? The person who's like, 
over the top, always happy, always joyful, always this, always that, can't acknowledge that there are any problems whatsoever. Oh, if I get sick, I just pray and God heals me. Every day an angel knocks on my door and tells me I'm going to win a million bucks. Like They're just over the top, happy and excited. And you're like, hang on, that doesn't actually square away with the gospel, that Jesus is with us in the heartache. Like then our lives and the way we conduct them have to support the message. Here's the thing about signs and wonders in the scripture. Signs and wonders are done for those who need signs and wonders. Right? They're done in front of those who need them. Let me, let me just fill you in on that for one second. When Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders here, the substance of Paul's message is what has happened between him and them. He does not talk about what's happened on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. Oh, guess what, guys? I saw this amazing thing happening on YouTube the other day. He talks to them about his conduct in his ministry among them. So he's able to appeal to his ministry, his gospel witness, his life lived before Jesus to them. Right? That's the important part of this, that an elder's life backs up the message. And when he talks to this church, he can say, look at my example. What are some of the things that he pulls out about that life lived among them? Firstly, he says, he serves the Lord with all humility. People who knew Paul as he worked knew, by the way, that he continued to make tents. Paul did not hold to a position of prestige, he didn't hold the position of lording it over people. He didn't seek special favor or treatment. But as an elder and church planter, he continued to work by the sweat of his brow. He was humble. I have no doubt that if you bought a, Paul, a tent from Paul, you bought a good tent, right? He's a guy that worked hard. He's a guy that did what he had to do. So he had humility. He didn't look for prestige from his position. Secondly, he worked with tears. Paul cared deeply about the people he ministered to, and they knew it. He shared with them the gospel continually, that's in there, the death and resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sin, but his love was real for the people he ministered to, so much to, so that he could shed tears for them. He pleaded with them, not because he was trying to earn evangelistic brownie points. He pleaded with them because he loved them. He pleaded with them because he cared for their salvation. He pleaded with them because the love of Christ flowed through him to the people. And so he shed tears. But this is the heart that we want to see in people who are going to be brought into church leadership. They love the people. And with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Right? When, when we go through trial, it's when people genuinely see our character, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. When we're actually under the pump, is when people actually begin to see the character that lies underneath. 
And Paul, because he's talking about testimony here, he's actually able to say to these guys, in the midst of heartache and trial, you got to see what was underneath. You got to see the character of Paul as he responded to persecution. You got to see the character of Paul as he continued to proclaim the good news. When he didn't back down, he didn't stop proclaiming the message, but he kept honoring Christ. Right? This is what we're looking for. Then Paul says, filled with the love of Jesus, he reached out with the love of Jesus to see people embraced by the love of Jesus, all for the glory of Jesus. This is what Paul is saying to the elders. This is what I was like. You know that it's true. Follow that example. I'll give you one quick, uh, more modern example than this. But a very long time ago, it happened in the 1960s. I mean, seriously, that's a very long time ago. Um, anyway, no one here could remember the 60s, right? Anyway, um, <laughs> a couple of hands waving going, yes, we do. A friend of mine was at Bible college in the 1960s. And during the 1960s, this theological uh, movement swept through the college and effectively split the college in half. Lecturers quit lecturers stayed, like they were at a war, students stayed and split. It was this massive debacle. My friend was a country lad who would openly say that, you know, he wasn't the greatest theologian, so he was sitting there wrestling with all of this and, and he stayed. He wasn't one of the ones that split off. And I said, how did you make your decision? He said, I, I just chose the group that continued to show the gospel. In the big divide that happened, there was one group that continued to love. There was one group that continued to seek reconciliation. There was one group that continued to honor Christ, so I went with them. Right? Doesn't that make sense? And this is what, we're, we're, what Paul's talking about here. He's saying, look at my conduct in the midst of trial, and we should see the way that we should act with Christian maturity. The reality is, an elder... The qualifications of an elder are actually qualifications that are of a mature Christian. The qualifications we're all meant to be aiming for and growing in, right? So that's, that's just a fact. We're all meant to get there. An elder is just someone that we can see enough of that in that we think they're ready for the role of elder. So Paul has shared his testimony according to the life he has lived among them, a life that they have witnessed. And his life stands up as someone who has honoured Christ. Secondly, he's completely Christ-centred. Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem because I'm called by the Holy Spirit. He says, the Spirit tells me wherever I'm going to go, I'm going to face persecution for the name of Jesus. So the Spirit calls me, and the one thing I know about what happens when I get there is I will suffer for Christ, and that's how I make my decision, says Paul. Here's what Paul doesn't say. I'm thinking of going to Jerusalem, but first of all, I'm checking out the salary package, the house prices, the proximity to family, and whether or not I have a comfortable life. Right? And then maybe once I get all those boxes ticked, 
I'll see whether or not I go to Jerusalem. No. Now Paul says, the Spirit's calling, and the only promise he gives me is that I'm going to suffer for the name of Jesus. Let me go. Let me do it. I'm ready to go and proclaim the good news. Now Paul's call is not all of our call. Amen? There are few people in this room, I'm going to go with none, who have been called as apostles to the Gentiles, uh, called to roam around the non-Christian world, uh, starting the church. Paul had a unique role, but the principle is at play, is it not? How do we make our decisions about the future? How do we make our decisions about what we should do, the role we should fulfill, the goals we should have? And Paul would say, seek the Lord. Full stop. That's it. Don't add on all these comfortable lifestyle things, but seek to honor the Lord. And in fact, if you're going to be an elder, that might mean that you have to pull back from some of the world. If you're going to have enough time to give to the role, maybe you've got to drop a day a week at work. Maybe you've got to step down in a level of promotion. Maybe you've got to do what you've got to do because God's calling you to serve in a role and that comes first. And so I step back from the world so I've got the time and energy to commit to it. But that's what Paul's saying. An elder is someone who cares and loves the church enough that God comes first and that other stuff has to come second. Now, I'm not saying we don't have some worry about that. I mean, yeah, we've got to plan for the future. We've got to do those things. But first and foremost is, how am I called to serve Jesus? That's the first question, right? Answer that one. Everything else comes second. And we see that in the life of Paul. We know in the parable of the talents, it's not the amount of talents that is given by Jesus that matters. It's whether or not you're faithful to use what he gives you. Right? That is the question. And that's what we're looking for in people who serve on the eldership. In verses 25 to 27 of our passage, Paul makes this incredible statement. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. The third mark of a biblical elder is a courageous teacher. An example of those who teach and proclaim the full gospel of God. Paul can say, I'm innocent of the blood of all of you. Why? Because he teaches the full counsel of God's Word. He doesn't shy away from anything. Now, that kind of passage you normally think of in terms of salvation, right? That myself as a preacher here on a Sunday, I would love to be able to walk away and say, if there was a non-Christian there, I could say, I'm innocent of your blood because I told you that you can only be saved by putting your faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Amen? Makes sense? Paul's talking here to the elders. So I don't think that's exactly the angle that he's taking here. 
What is Paul saying? He's saying to the elders, I'm innocent of the blood of you elders. Why? Because I've shown you what it means to be a faithful teacher of God's Word. Paul is saying to the elders of the church, I never faltered in proclaiming to you the whole counsel and truth of the Word of God. You you therefore need to go and do the same thing. Proclaim the whole counsel and truth of God's Word. If you don't, if you alter the message, if you take out the hard bits, the difficult bits, that's your fault, your problem, says Paul, because I proclaim to you the full truth of God. Church, there are a few more important things. Actually, they're all important, but man, if you're going to have elders, elders biblically are given the role of the authoritative teaching of the church. You must choose men from among you who will not shy from proclaiming the full truth of God's Word. Regardless of what pressures come, regardless of what external pressures come, regardless of whether or not it's easy to hear, they must proclaim the full truth of God's Word. That's what Paul is telling the elders here in, this church, in that church. I preach to you the Word of God faithfully. I'm now innocent, and it's up to you men to preach the Word of God faithfully. Applied to us, the same still stands in our lives, as I said. If you were to die tomorrow, I wonder if you could say that at my place of work, I'm innocent of their blood because I've told them all the good news. It's a good challenge, isn't it? Proclaim the gospel and choose elders who will proclaim the gospel. That's what we're talking about in this passage. That's why, by and large, we preach through books of the Bible. That's why we start at verse 1 of chapter 1 and we work right through to the end. It's because there we cover the full counsel of God's Word, which is what we're doing in John just pause for a few weeks, and then we'll be back into the full counsel of God's Word. Right, the final little shift of our passage uh, that we'll work through together now. This is Acts 20, 28 to 31. Acts 20, 28 to 31, the last chunk that we'll look at. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. Remember, this is Paul's parting advice to a group of elders. He says, this is the last time I'll ever see you. So this is the important things distilled down that he has to tell these guys on his way out. The things that Paul sees is critical for the future life of the church. And here he lists three potential threats to the church 
which elders are called to protect the church from. All right? Three potential threats that we need to look for that elders are capable of defending the church from. The first one is the elders are called to pay attention to the threat of themselves. Pay careful attention to yourselves. This is a warning that even men who are filled with the Spirit, who are appointed by God, can fall into sin. Note what the passage says. The Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the one who calls elders. So here we have godly men appointed by the Spirit, and Paul wants them to keep watch over themselves. Right? There's no such thing as a life elder. I've been to churches where they appoint life elders. It's ridiculous. There's no such thing as a life elder. There might be an elder who serves for their whole life. They don't get a title of life elder because they could disqualify themselves. Right? We have to keep a watch over our lives. That's what 1 Timothy 3, 1-7, those character qualifications of an elder, that's what they're about, that we have to hold ourselves accountable to the Word of God. As I said, these things apply to everyone who wants to grow in Christian maturity in the church, but they're critical that an elder is living by them. Does an elder still meet the biblical qualifications? Does a deacon still meet the biblical qualifications? Right? We have to hold one another to account on whether or not we are still honoring God in the way we live. And we read in the scriptures of the Apostle Paul rebuking the Apostle Peter. Right? Peter comes into town, starts to change the way he behaves because the Judaizers come to town. And, and so Peter then starts to put on a bit of a show for the Jews. And Paul says, mate, you can't do that. He calls out his behavior. That is, apostles assessing and holding to account one another's behavior. But the first thing, elders, we have a plurality of elders. We've got four men currently. Hopefully we've got a few more in the future, but they hold each other to account. Is your life still supporting the message? Is your life still being lived according to the Word of God? That's the first group. The second qualification of, his, of an elder. Can they shoot wolves, right? Can they hunt? That's the second qualification. Paul says that they are to keep an eye out for and to protect the flock from wolves that come in from outside the church. These are the people who want to come into the church with a different message, a different gospel, a distorted gospel which will lead the saints astray. The elders are called to be vigilant to protect and watch the sheep and to shoot the wolves that would come in to lead them astray. Give you an example of a modern wolf. There was a guy a few years ago called Rob Bell. Uh, he became hugely popular through his NUMA DVDs uh, and many churches were showing them. And if you've ever seen Rob Bell, he was a brilliant communicator and he sounds so wonderful that many, many people were listening to him. And then a few years ago, he released a book called Love Wins. 
And in that book, it proclaimed a different gospel. He said, all people by all religions will be saved. And it was released as an evangelical book. For any church to publicize this book, to happily let people read that book, is elders failing to shoot the wolves. When that book was released, I read it which, by the way, was a very painful exercise, but I needed to, so I read it. Then I stood up in front of the church and I held the book up and I said, this is heresy. We need to know that as a church. And it goes on and on and on. The prayer of Jabez, the shack, bestsellers, which distort the gospel and bring in destructive heresies and elders are called to see it and fight it. Right? That is the role of an elder. Same goes for the prosperity gospel and those who proclaim it. Biblical elders know the Word of God and the Gospel well enough that they can see heresy and they can get rid of it, right? That's the call of an elder. The third group and final group that the elders are warned to be wary on is a very, very critical one. The previous two are as well, but this one's really critical. Paul says, from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to protect the church from the people who arise within. Fine-sounding things. Things that people want to hear, but not the truth. Elders must look out for and be willing to stop it when that occurs. Gentlemen, the greatest struggles for elders in dealing with those who arise within the church to lead people astray is that the church defends and protects those people, right? This is the tension of being an elder. We're so conditioned to love. We're so conditioned for forgiveness, for grace, that we can allow people to do enormous damage in the name of compassion. I've known people causing massive division in the church and when the elders have tried to deal with it, the church has fought against them because it doesn't seem loving and kind. Well, at times, loving and kind is to deal with the damage that's being caused in the church, right? This is the reality and difficulty of serving in the role of elder. If someone has simply gone astray, our job is to try and correct them. If someone is maliciously leading people away, then our job is to get rid of them. Right? This is the role of an elder. So we have to be aware of the danger from ourselves, the dangers from outside, and the dangers from within. Right? That is the call of a biblical elder. How do we do that? That was the final bit, wasn't it? Be alert. Remembering that night and day, for three years, I never stopped warning each of you with tears, and now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. How do we protect ourselves from all of these destructive forces? The word of grace. Church, we all need to know the scriptures. We all need to dwell and center ourselves in the scriptural scriptures so that we know what heresy and false teaching is when we come across it, right? That is the critical and crucial thing, that we all know our Bible. So in summary, if we're talking about the role and character and future of elders in the church, 
They should be able to set an example. They should be Christ-centered. They should teach the full counsel of God's word. They should be accountable to one another. They should be prepared to shoot the wolves from without and to protect the church from within. That's the role of an elder in Scripture. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, I just pray you help us all wrestle with these marks of maturity which are for the whole church and yet, Lord, elders are those who are meeting many of these, not perfectly, only Christ is perfect, but elders are those we can see are meeting many of these the majority of the time. Lord, we pray for the elders in this church, we pray for those who aspire to being an elder. Lord, may they grow in their relationship with you. May they grow in love for Christ. With him is their great prize and joy. May they grow in knowledge of your word, that they could recognize falsehood when they see it. Lord, give them the courage and conviction to deal with it. Lord, we pray that we would have you as our head and an eldership team, Lord, who submits to you but boldly leads under the headship of Christ. Lord, we ask this in your precious name. Amen.